Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have an adoption story that takes a lot of twists and turns, as the adoption process often does. Chris and Brittany are from Wisconsin, and Brittany joins us today. Hi, Brittany. Hi. I'm so glad that you are on the show today. You know that I'm a big fan of your story because I connect to it so deeply. And we're going to talk a little bit about just the whole process and um, just how your children are coming about. I think that this show is going to change a lot of people's lives, and I think it's going to help a lot of families. So let's get started and talk about why you started on the adoption journey. Sure. My husband and I got married very young. And right after marriage, we decided we wanted to start a family. So we went about it, you know, the normal way. And after a while, we just kind of realized it wasn't happening. Um, And for us, rather than going through fertility treatments and the unknown of all of that, we decided that adoption was the right choice for us. So we went, um, we started by looking at different adoption agencies, and we found one that we really liked. And we headed off with the social worker, and away we went. And so how long did that process take? We started our home study um, just before I turned 23 in May of 2013. Um, and then we finalized our home study in December of 2013. And then we had a year-long wait before we were matched with our son. 23 years old. I can't even believe that. You know, and I think that that's very common nowadays. But even um, a few years ago when we started the process, we were considered really young and we were 30. My husband and I kind of hit the ground running and we have never slowed down since. So you were ready just to have a family right away? Yeah. Okay, so you wait a year and you get matched or how did that work? Throughout that year, our adoption agent would send us text messages, messages, um, through email, letting us know if she was going to be meeting with a potential birth mom. Um, and she would say, you know, I'm going to be showing your profile, um, just to kind of give us a heads up. And every single time I would get super excited, which I would suggest not doing, try to keep a level head. But right. every single time I would get so excited and this is it, this is going to be it. And then either they would pick somebody else or they wouldn't show up or things happen. So um, after... A few times of that, I told my adoption agent, I said, don't tell us anymore. Just show our profile and contact me only if we're picked. So on December 1st um, of 2014, I have an email from our adoption agent, and it was two words. All it said was, call me. So I did, and she asked what I was doing the next day. And I'm like, well, I was going to work. And she goes, no, you're not. You're going to come to birth mom. So we went. Um, on December 2nd, 2014, to go meet um, our friend's birth mom. Uh, we met with her for, I think it was probably about two hours, and we just hit it off. We had great conversation. Um, she said everything right. We did too. It was just, it felt meant to be. When was she due? Um, she was actually due that same month in just a couple of weeks. So she was 30, I want to say she was 36 weeks pregnant and due at the end of that month. Pretty quick process. Yeah. Did she have any other kids? She did. She had, well, at that point, she'd only disclosed to us um, that she had three other children, 
older boy and then two younger children who were full siblings to our son. Okay, so this was going to be her first placement. Yes. Okay, but she was really confident that that's what she wanted to do and you guys felt comfortable and you went forward. Yeah, she made it seem like, you know, that this was the first time she'd ever done this and she was so nervous, but she knew it was the right decision for her and her family. Um, She felt like we were the family to have Connor and that everything was perfect and how she wanted it to be. And we talked about having this wonderful open adoption Um, which me and my husband were so excited about because that's something that we really strongly felt was important was to have this great open adoption with open communication. Right. You know, I I can so connect with you in that the desire to have an open adoption, to be pro-open adoption, to help other families with open adoption, and then um, have a birth mother that it's not possible. And it's really heartbreaking in that process to go in and say, I'm ready for this. And then something completely different happens. And that happens a lot in adoption. You get prepared for one scenario and then the opposite is there. Yes, I can agree with that. (laughs) Okay. So you are in this relationship now. And so everything seems like it's going great and you're going to be in open adoption. And so what happens in the next couple of weeks? Um, We went to several doctor's appointments with her Um, everything was going great. And then on December 21st, we got a phone call from her mother saying that she was in labor and that we needed to go to the hospital. So away we went to the hospital. Um, And everything, even then, seemed like it was okay and it was kosher and there was no issues. She was excited. And then when we got to the hospital, it was a four-hour drive away. So when we got to the hospital, our adoption agent came down um, and she just had this look on her face of like, uh, uh-oh. And I looked at my husband and I was just like, I don't even want to hear this. I don't want to hear what she has to say. Let's just leave. And he's like, no, like, calm down. Thank God for this because he's my rock. But he called me down and he's like, let's just hear what she has to say. So we're like, okay. So we sat down and our adoption agent was like, the birth mom is really mad at you. And we're like, okay, why? And she went on to have this, she went on to tell us, that the birth mother was mad at us because we had said all of these different things in text messages and we were so confused and I showed my phone to our adoption agent because I'm like, but none of this actually ever happened. And our adoption agent's like, she could just be, you know, upset right now. There's a lot going on. Let's just go up and see what happens. So we're like, okay. So we went up um, and actually we went into the hospital room where she was with Connor and it was like a light switch went off. She was incredibly happy. She was more than welcoming. She's like, here's your son. And she handed him over. Um, and so it was like that little piece never happened. It was just odd and confusing, which we'll figure out later too. You know, and again, it, this show helps me so much. I mean, thousands of people are listening to the show. But for me personally, if no one was listening and it was just you and I sitting down in a coffee shop talking, I would be changed by your story. Because when you connect with somebody or you hear something in their story and you're like, that happened to me too, there's something that that helps you feel understood. And we had the same thing happen just a few weeks ago. I mean, we showed up and we were being accused of these text messages. And we're like, no, that didn't happen. 
no, I'm a nice person. I'm going to be a great adoptive mom. We're going to have a good relationship. And you kind of are watching it deteriorate. And there's really nothing you can do. And you can't really understand where she's coming from. And you want to so desperately. But there's a lot of other emotions going on. And your agency is trying to help you. I mean, how did you process all of that? Because that's just added stress. But she still wanted to give you the baby. Right. She she actually had never even mentioned to my husband or I anything that she had told the adoption worker um, before we got there. She never mentioned it, acted like it never happened. So honestly, that's what we did um, when we were with her because we didn't want to bring it up and stir up anything. So but in the back of my head, that was like my first red flag of like, maybe something's a little off here. And I, I kind of just processed that by trying to empathize with her and realize that She's going through the hardest thing that a person can ever go through. Mm-hmm. And maybe she was just, you know, having her emotions and just needed somebody to vent to and just be angry. So I kind of just left it alone and left it at that, that maybe she was just angry at the situation and needed somebody or something to blame. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that is the best advice you could give anyone is just go in there and be loving even though she's put you through a lot or even though you know it's really hard at times because you're trying to make sense of the situation and so spending time doing that can often just be exhausting just go in there and be as loving as you can and you know she's placing the baby with you and she did sign consents correct uh in Wisconsin you can't sign any consents until after 30 days so no paperwork or anything had been signed at that point for everyone? That's how it works for everyone? The placement papers saying that she's allowing us to take the child home. Those papers are signed, but nothing permanent is signed at the hospital. That all has to be done in front of a judge, and they actually have to go through extensive questioning from the judge, making sure they fully understand what they are doing. Wow, that's a rough 30 days. If only it was 30 days. Right. <laughs> a lot of time. Right. <laughs> a lot of times it ends up being um, a little bit more than 30 days for most couples, just because by the time the birth mother gets out of the hospital, the attorney gets in contact with her, the paperwork and things get sent to the courthouse. By the time the um, courthouse has an available appointment in front of the judge or a hearing in front of the judge, it's a little longer than 30 days. Sometimes people can't understand what it's like to be an adoptive parent in that time. But it really, and I'd love for you to put it in words as well, but for me, I call it, it's kind of like a fog. You're in a fog because you love this baby. You're exhausted because you're up in the middle of the night feeding the baby, but you're also a little scared. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know what the story is going to be. You don't know if you're going to keep this baby. And so you go to things, you might go to family outings or you might go out with your friends, but you feel like your head is in a fog. You're not really there. Did you feel that way? I felt like my mind was never truly on anything else. Mm -hmm. I was always constantly thinking about what's going to happen next. Is this going to work? Is he going to be forever mine? Every time I held him, I would stare at him, and I would literally think, this is the last time that I'm going to have with him. Mm-hmm. You don't, you have no sense of security because everything can be ripped away from you so quickly in the blink of an eye. So you really don't think about anything else. It takes over your entire life mm-hmm. for those 30 days or however many it takes to get to the courthouse. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. 
who was the most supportive besides your husband? I mean, if someone is listening to this and they're involved in an adoption, maybe their daughter, maybe their son, and they want to be supportive or maybe they're friends with someone, but they don't know how to be supportive, what advice would you give them? The advice I would give the support system around the adoptive family is to just be understanding. Uh, We may be irrational at times because we haven't slept. Not only is our baby keeping us up, but our own thoughts of what could happen are keeping us up. We're not sleeping. Um, We're scared all the time. So just being understanding, being open and caring, I think those are the things that really got us through. I know my dad, my aunt, they, they were our rocks for sure. They really got us through. I think I called my dad every single day, mm-hmm. every day. And he, he just listened and told us that it would be okay. So at 30 days, did you get TPR? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and that 30 days, we hired an attorney um, for the birth mom. We hire an attorney, and the attorney actually isn't for us. We hire an attorney that represents the birth mom in Wisconsin. So we hired an attorney to represent the birth mom, um, and this attorney was attempting to work with the birth mom and trying to get um, her to sign paperwork that she needed to sign in order to send the paperwork away so there could be a TPR hearing, but she kept dragging her feet, and one thing after another, she always had excuses, and, oh, I have to work, or, oh, my other kids needed me, and things just kind of escalated from there, Um, and then... I think it was about eight weeks after we finally kind of talked to her a little bit about what was going on. Um, And she was very short with us, didn't want to really say anything. Um, And then the very next day, I kind of had a gut feeling that something wasn't right. And I called my my social worker and I said, what is going on? And she said, I don't really want to talk to you about it yet. I want to figure out more Um, And I said, you just have to tell me, tell me now. And she told me that the birth mother had sent her an email stating that she wanted her baby back and she wanted her baby back now. So that day, our social worker was going to be um, coming up the four hour drive to take Connor back. Oh my gosh. What was that like? (laughs) That moment was honestly the worst moment of my entire life. I I remember just, he was sitting in a bouncer in front of me, and I remember thinking, like, I can't fall apart in front of him, even though he's only eight weeks old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just, I need to. So I walked outside, and I stood outside, and I was in, like, a trance. Like, I couldn't understand anything that was happening. Um, it took a while before, actually, my aunt came and pulled me out. She's like, you have to come inside. And she came inside, and me and her, my husband, we were all together, um, and we were devastated. We didn't know what was going on. We were scared, Um, and it was hours later that we finally got a text message from the birth mom that said, I'm sorry I had to put you through this today, but I needed to show the attorney and the adoption agent who's boss. So it turns out that even though he put us us through that, it was just a game. She just wanted more attention from them and... She was willing to put us through the worst moment of my entire life just to get the attention. Okay, so you said that she was playing games. So she wanted to place the baby with you. Then she didn't sign the paperwork. Where was birth father at this time? Was that factoring in? 
behind the scenes with her it was. At this point, she had told us that birth father wanted nothing to do with Connor and that he didn't want, um, that he was good with the adoption. He wanted to sign and that he was willing to. Okay, so this was all on her making these choices. Okay, so if you're just tuning into Adoption Now, and maybe this is the first podcast or radio program you've ever heard of Adoption Now, we have a lot of different stories. There are families that come on and they talk about their birth mother, and it's amazing. The birth mother, we have birth mothers on our our show, and they tell their story, and they're incredibly loving women. Um, They would never do something like this. And so we highlight every different story, every different experience Um, just so that you understand these aspects of adoption and so that you can connect with these stories. This story, though, is so, so true to what we experience as well. The desire to have a great open adoption as you and your family had, but then it kind of falls through. And then this mother that is playing games with everything you are. I mean, you've got everything on the line. You love this baby. You have all your finances you know, wrapped up into this baby, you want to be a mother and you can't even imagine losing that child. And she's just going back and forth and yanking you around. And, you know, we had, we are going through a similar situation and people say, oh, are there drugs involved or she have a mental illness? None of those things really matter because it doesn't matter if she has that. You still love this baby and you have to have, um, the answer. You have to know, is this baby going to stay with us? Are we going to get this baby? I mean, all those questions are what an adoptive mom and father go through in this process. And so highlighting that is really important for some families. Brittany, you are going to really um, help them understand that, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not alone dealing with this. And I'm trying to love this woman with everything I am. And I love this child. And it is taking everything out of me. So at what point did you say, okay, what do we do next? Actually, our adoption worker came over for a um, post-placement visit. And just by chance that she was here, that our attorney, or actually the birth mother's attorney, called me and said that she had just gotten papers from the birth father and just spoke with him. Um, And at that point, she said, birth father is, not in agreement with this. He has actually been searching for this child. Um, he has actually called the police. The police were involved in um, where this child was because they didn't know that she had even given birth to the child. Um, so they were searching for him. And birth father obviously got the paperwork saying there's a TPR hearing on this date and you need to be there for it. And he was contesting it. He was saying, no, he's like, I want this baby. This is my son. So we were really confused by that, and I was heartbroken. My husband was heartbroken, and we actually got his phone number, and my husband and I sat down on the couch, and we called him, and we ended up talking to him for quite a while on the phone, and he wanted to meet us then. Um, So we said, of course, we'll meet you. And at this point, my husband and I were so confused because we're like, he was supposed to be in agreement and didn't want anything to do with it, and here he is saying, no, this is my child. And this has been a game that she's done to me. So we ended up going and meeting him, and we found out that day that this was the third baby in three years that she had given birth to, fathered by the same father, and that she had placed behind his back. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, that was, that was rough. 
And of course, your heart goes out to him mm-hmm. because here he is. At this point, he was innocent in this. You know, he was like, I was looking for him. And here we are. We've now had Connor for about four months at this point. Um, and things are still just dragging behind. And he's, he's emotional. We're emotional. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And then he still won't tell us that what his decision is. And it goes on for a couple weeks of phone calls and different attorneys being involved. And both of them are playing games against each other at this point. And they're using Connor as a pawn in between the two of them. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you finally get a court date, and we're going to talk about that. We have to take a short break, and then when we come back, you're going to tell us about this court date that you get. You are listening to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We have seen tremendous growth in the program as millions of people have tuned in to the stories we've shared. If you've missed any of our weekly programs, you can always join our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Just search Adoption Now and subscribe. Thank you for tuning in to this week's show. And now, let's get back to the program. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Brittany. She's sharing her and Chris, her husband's story. And it's just taking all these different turns. Um, She gets a baby The baby's placed, but the mother is dragging her feet on signing the paperwork. It's been 30 days. Now it's been two months. And now we're to four months. The father, the birth father is getting involved. They are arguing with each other. And you guys are right in the middle, just hoping that this is your forever child. So what happens next? We end up getting a court date um, to finalize after there was a couple of other things that happened in there between the attorneys. Um, and the birth parents that we weren't necessarily involved in. So they got us a court date. We were contacted by our guardian at Lyum and said that we are going to be finalizing the adoption a month earlier than what normally happens, and we are going to be finalizing the same day the termination of parental rights happens, so long as they both sign. What was that day like? That day was crazy because we woke up that morning um, going to the courthouse. Our son wasn't allowed. Um, the judge and the guardian at Lydon didn't feel it was a safe place for him to be. So they didn't want our son at the courthouse like most adoptions when they're finalized. You get to hold your baby and mm-hmm. have you know that wonderful moment. But we had to leave our son behind. Uh, we left him with our, my mother-in-law, my husband's mom. And we went to the courthouse with my dad. Um, and we was sequestered into a little room, um, and at that point, we had no idea if we were giving our son back forever or if that was a day that we were going to be keeping him forever. That 20 minutes of that PPR, I swear, felt like 20 years. I bet. It was the most intense feeling in the world of confusion. You were so confused and so scared and so hopeful. And so they came in and told you what? So came in and um, our daddy at Lyon said that we had won and that we needed to go now to go and finalize. 
So we got up and walked into the courtroom, and there was a lot of tears, <laughs> and we finalized. Wow. I, I love that you, I mean, the victory was yours, but you went through a lot. And so I, your story takes all these different turns and twists. Like I said in the very beginning, you want another child, but you're thinking, there's no way I can go through that again. No, we couldn't put ourselves through that again. We couldn't put Connor through an adoption like that. We couldn't put our families through an adoption like that. It was just, it wasn't an option for us at that point. It wasn't going to happen. In our pre-interview, you talked about, and I, I understand this, how since you have already adopted, you were not thinking of trying for a genetic child. You really wanted to stay on the adoption path. Is that true? Correct. Correct. At that point, we were thinking uh, the new adoption wasn't going to work for our family again. Um, so we were kind of looking into fertility treatments. And um, my eggs work fine. My husband's sperm worked fine. But we didn't want to use them. And I think it's a really hard thing for anybody who doesn't have an adopted child to understand about not wanting a genetic child after that. But it's almost out of fairness to Connor that we didn't want to have a genetic child. So we were looking into alternatives other than the traditional adoption and other than IVF and things like that. And actually, we came across the embryo adoption, which kind of takes the best of both worlds. And you get your take-home baby without the headache of the courthouse and birth mom and attorneys. A lot of people ask me so many different questions about embryo adoption. They want to know, you know, what testing you have to take before um, you even are a candidate for embryo adoption. You know, how do you know if you can carry a baby? And one of the things that I thought was so interesting about your story is that, tell us about your fallopian tubes. They're closed? Yeah. I actually have um, a gross amount of scar tissue in my lower abdomen that completely occludes my fallopian tubes. So no egg can get through, no sperm can get through, nothing can meet. So that's called a mechanical issue. When everything else is fine hormonally, you know, my uterus is fine. I can, I can house a child, grow a child, carry a child to term. We just can't get the child in there. This option is so incredible because to think, and I say this on every show that we talk about embryo adoption, but to think that you could be the one carrying your baby, that you get to put healthy food into the baby, that you um, get to be the one going to the doctor's appointments and you're the one you know, that's getting treatment and you get to have the baby in the hospital. So when the baby's born, you don't have to go and think, is this my forever baby? It is your baby. Right. Right. That's, it's, I'm really looking forward to that whole experience because I kind of feel like you were almost, we were almost robbed of that initial excitement because it was almost taken over by fear of mm-hmm. what's going to happen. So this time around, it's kind of exciting to know that going in, she's ours, no matter what happens, she's ours. So you and your husband prayed about it and you decided to go out of the country. I did. Which I just think is... Unbelievable. How old are you at this time when you decided to go? 25. 25 years old, and you decide you're going to jump on a plane and you're going to fly 18 hours to a different country and you're going to do implantation there. Correct. 
How did you even come to that choice? There were a lot of different reasons that we chose to go out of the country for embryo adoption. Um, a lot of it had to do with finances. It was extremely cheap to go there versus to try and do it in the United States. Um, the second option, or the second reason we chose to do embryo adoption out of country is because the success rates um, over there were quite a bit higher. And obviously you want to be successful when you're spending thousands of dollars and you want another child. So that was another thing that was like really making us to check the public. If you're thinking about embryo adoption, how much is it? That question is a loaded question because it depends <laughs> where you go. Um, in Czech Republic, total including everything um, from food to plane ticket to the transfer, for us, it was about 2500 um, And then in the United States, it can be anywhere from, you know, depending upon how you match with your donor, if you do a private match with an attorney, if you do a clinic, if you do an agency, it can range anywhere from, I would say, 3000 to upwards of 15000 So it just depends on what route you take. There's many different ways that you can do embryo adoption. But even at $15,000, that's a lot cheaper than traditional adoption. Yes, it is. It's usually, I would say, typically it's about half of what a traditional adoption is. So maybe you're just tuning in and you have never heard of embryo adoption. In fact, you're kind of like, what is that? That sounds so crazy. We thought that too. The first time, me personally, when I heard about it, I'm like, what, what does that even mean? And, you know, how does that science work? And really doing research, finding out that people who do IVF, they have a ton of um, these leftover embryos. These families are freezing these embryos and they don't know what to do with them. And so there are families that are stepping up and saying, well, we would like another child and we can carry a child that is not genetically ours, but yet give birth and that will be our child. So it's embryo adoption. Um, and it's just fascinating to me, the whole process. I mean, you get your body ready by taking different shots. Um, you know, it's not the same as IVF, right? Because IVF, you're creating a lot of eggs. And with right. embryo adoption, you're stopping that process. So it's a little bit different. Uh, talk to me a little bit about before you went over to get the embryo. You mean like medications or? Yeah. Well, yeah, medications. Oh, sure. Like what did you have to provide? Don't they do some like um, they want to know, you know, your mental history? Oh, sure. Um, but we didn't have to for the Czech Republic. We didn't have to do um, any site consult or anything. But there are a lot of clinics and agencies that have you do a site consult beforehand just to make sure that you're mentally prepared to carry and give birth to a child who may not look like you and isn't genetically yours. They want to make sure that you understand to the fullest you're about to go through because it's not something that's done very often and it's not traditional. So they just want to make sure that you and your partner both understand what's about to happen. So all the paperwork is done before you become pregnant, which is totally right. different than traditional adoption. Traditional adoption paperwork is done after. And so, you know, all of that, and it's interesting that it's also a transfer of property is how lawyers call the transfer of embryos to a different family. Isn't that interesting? Yes. 
at that point they consider it property and instead of, you know, potential to be a human life. Right. So you're signing all this paperwork, all of that is done. And then you go in and you do the transplant. And in your case, you traveled all these miles. And how long after do you find out that you're pregnant? So I find out even sooner than most people do. Um, The average person finds out usually five to 14 days after the transfer that they're pregnant. Um, The first time I found out three days after the transfer that it had worked and that I was pregnant. Okay. And at that time you had transferred two embryos. Yes. So you found out you're pregnant, you fly back, you're super excited. And what happened? Well, we went on to have an ultrasound and I was five weeks and three days. And we found out that it was twins at that point that both embryos had taken. Um, so we were overjoyed and super excited to welcome two little, two little people into our life instead of this one. Um, and then we had to go back to a couple of ultrasounds afterwards just to make sure things were going the way they were supposed to. And um, at the following ultrasound, we found out that baby D um, was no longer growing and that my body was just going to naturally absorb baby B. Wow, what was that like? That was really heartbreaking. It was. It was really sad to try to wrap your head around losing one of your babies, but yet knowing that you still have another one in there is kind of confusing at the same time because you're so excited that you're about to have a baby, and yet you're so sad that you just lost one. Mm -hmm. That was kind of tough. So a couple weeks go by, and you have another appointment. Yep, we go in for our 12-week of OB appointment. It's our first um, appointment. We're really excited. Um, but a couple of days before that, I just kind of had a gut feeling that something wasn't right. And I actually kept telling my husband, I'm like, something's wrong. I don't feel pregnant anymore. Something's wrong. Um, and there was no symptoms. I didn't have any cramping, any bleeding. I didn't have anything like that. So there was nothing other than my gut feelings. There was nothing telling us that anything was wrong. So my husband, of course, being the wonderful person he is, was just reassuring me. He's like, you're fine. You're okay. You know, you're just nervous. I understand. So we went into our appointment and um, I tried to explain the same thing to my doctor who was the same way. He's like, there's no signs or symptoms of anything being wrong. Um, But I was so adamant that something wasn't right that he finally um, performed an ultrasound and we found out at that time that uh, baby A no longer had a heartbeat. This is the part of the story that when we talked and I asked you, that had to be devastating. And at that point, did you think the other traditional adoption might have been easier? And you said, no. No. And I know it sounds crazy, but with Connor's adoption, it was, we had no control over anything, Mm -hmm. but everybody else did. Um, You had to rely on another person, and they were making conscious decisions to play games with you, essentially. And the unknown was a crazy amount of stress. That So this was obviously very hard for our family, and it was very emotional and heartbreaking all the same. It was different because it wasn't anybody's fault. It was just an act of God that it wasn't meant to be, and... There wasn't any games. I didn't, yeah. Yeah, I just think that that is 
Um, it's a really interesting journey. Adoption, oftentimes, like you said, it's a loss of control. And you're not even sure when the end is and what's happening, what's going on. And then this one is, um, like you said, it was um, a natural thing that happened. And yes, it's it's grieving, it's loss, absolutely. But I, I thought it was interesting that you said that it, it was just different. The reason why is because when you're holding your child and you love them so much and you know that they can be taken away at any time, you know that if they're taken away, they're not going to a better place. They're going to a broken home where there's, you know, drugs or abuse or confusion and many other kids. So you know that he's not going to a better place, and that breaks you mm-hmm. so badly. And with having a miscarriage, I knew that those two babies went to a better place. So mentally for me, that was a lot easier to comprehend and understand and essentially accept. Yeah. And you learned a lot about embryo adoption at that time, which you taught me just about the quality of the embryo and the right questions to ask and that you can get genetic testing, which you had not done on the previous um, pregnancy, correct? Right. We decided at that point we weren't going to do the genetic testing because there's a couple hundred dollars more and we were like, oh, it'll be fine. So we just kind of bypassed that and it ended up being a genetic issue with the embryos that is what caused the miscarriage so you decided to do it again you bet your tenacity it's so great okay so you get on a plane this time you say we're just going to do one and we're going to have this embryo genetically tested yes so i went over um, and we had just one genetically tested embryo transferred back um, and they were able to tell us at that point that the embryo they put back was a little girl. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so in that country, you can't choose whether you say, I would like a boy or a girl. Now, in, in places in the United States, you can choose. And I, I thought that was really interesting. And depending on the clinic and your history and um, your family, you can also carry different ethnicities. But not yeah, over where you are. Wonderful. Yes, it's just it's just crazy to me. But okay, so over there you didn't have a choice. But before they implanted, they told you this is a girl, and so it was like, oh my gosh, you were so excited. Right. Oh, I was over the moon, over the moon excited. I would have been happy either way, of course. But I mean, now I have my perfect little boy, have my perfect little girl. We're good to go. <laughs> and so you are pregnant now. How far along? I will be twenty-four weeks tomorrow. How do you like being pregnant? It's awesome. Is it? It's great. Yeah, it is. It's definitely has its ups and downs. Downs being a lot of being sick and ups being baby kicks and all that. But it's pretty awesome. It's, I love it. I'm so happy for you. I'm sure that people will have so many questions. I also want to say um, you talked a little bit about just the difference between miscarrying and having an adoption that's very traumatic and difficult. And you said that the baby you knew would go back into just a difficult upbringing. I I do want to say that that is your story. And often that is the story. Sometimes moms do change their mind and they're actually great moms 
and the the child isn't going into a, a horrible situation. Um, I have a lot of birth moms that listen. And they say, wait, not all birth moms are like this. They aren't. Some are amazing. And the situation, they just choose to parent. And, you know, that is a loss for us as adoptive parents, but it, it's okay because it's like, oh, well, at least they're not getting abused. The situation that you're talking about is not like that. You knew that your son and that loss was going to be very traumatic for him as well as you. And so I just wanted to say that because every story we hear has truth because it's the storyteller's experience, right? I can't tell you what is right and wrong. And that is the beauty of adoption now is we're not here to tell anybody what is right and what is wrong. Um, We're just here to tell your story. And you told it so beautifully, Brittany. I am so happy for you that you are pregnant. I am so happy that um, you just kept going through the whole process. And I'm, I'm happy that you became a mother through so many different avenues. And I think this is an option that other people are going to choose. That's awesome. I hope they do. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. You bet. And I hope you'll let me post a picture of your family and you are adorable being pregnant. Oh, thanks. I sure will. And when you have that baby, you're going to have to come back on and tell that story. Okay, as long as it's a good one. Yes, it will be. (laughs) Thank you for joining us and listening to Adoption Now. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. I'm April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.